Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Appreciate that wholeheartedly, if you will. Revelation chapter number 10, I want to read the first four verses to get us started here this evening. I continue. Do you realize next week, next week will be chapter 11, which means that's a halfway mark, at least as far as chapters wise. That's a halfway mark. Amen. We might have to have a carry-in or something. I don't know. I just... <laughs> yeah. Now, we'll do that when we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb chapter. Well, Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That might, that might be neat, wouldn't it? Everybody bring what you think will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So. Revelation 10, chapter number 1, or verse number 1, rather. The Bible says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth and when he had cried seven thunders uttered their voices when the seven thunders had uttered their voices I was about to write John says and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not amen this evening, I just entitled this simply this, All Thunder and No Recorded Rain. All Thunder and No Recorded Rain. All right? Amen. Let's pray right now. Father, I'm thankful again for an opportunity to be here. Pray, O oh God, that you would help our minds and understanding, Lord Jesus, of your word. As I often pray on Wednesdays, God, give us enlightenment. Father, that we can look at the scriptures, Lord, and have understanding. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us tonight as we again look at these things, Lord, that are beyond, Lord, the day of rapture, Lord Jesus, for those that may still exist upon the earth. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, that you would help us. I know, God, that you will, and we praise you and thank you, Lord, for what you do. In Jesus' name that I pray, everyone say amen. You may be seated tonight. We have looked at the seals. We are in the trumpets. And as it was with the seals, so it is with the trumpets. We come up on chapter number 10, what we might call as another uh, chapter in Revelation that's kind of like a little interlude or a little pause in the series of events that are taking place. But again, what we've learned from these interludes is that sometimes they give us a little further detail or information, maybe about some things we already talked about or maybe even things we haven't talked about yet. But nevertheless, these little interludes become, uh, in, to a certain measure, some insertions of hope uh, among all of these series of judgments. Uh, for instance, in chapter 7, when we looked at that interlude, we learned that the 144,000 Jews that were to be sealed with the seal of God. We also talk about a number that no man could number uh, that came around about the throne. So there were little, little episodes of mercy, little episodes of, 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 of some type of hope that is given. And so there is a little bit, if I would like to point out, a little bit of a, a pattern that takes place here with the seals and the trumpets and the vials, and that is, it seems like the, 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 the first three, it does hold some type 
or the first four didn't hold some type of similarities. If you remember the seals, it was the different colored horses that came out. So there's a similarity there that differs then uh, than the last three, a little different from the four. When we talk about the trumpets, uh, the, the, first, the first ones that came out from there, the first four, that is, were indirectly affecting mankind, whereas the last three, known as uh, the, the three woes, if you will, are directly affecting mankind also a little pattern that we see between uh, the sixth and the seventh seal being opened was chapter number seven that interlude and now between the sixth and seventh trumpet we have again a little interlude here chapter number two where we pause and look what's about ready being said being said and john as the phraseology is common in revelation he saw something and that seems to always be a a turning point in the event of John relaying something uh, new or something different. And he saw now, the Bible says, another mighty angel come down from heaven. Now, another mighty angel, there are some that describe this mighty angel that came down from heaven, ascribe Jesus Christ as being this angel. And there are still yet others that accept it just as it's spoken, just another mighty angel that came down uh, from heaven. Those that believe that this angel is Jesus Christ do so because of some of the similar descriptions that are put to this angel in verse number one compared to some that were put to Jesus Christ in chapter one of Revelation. You'll notice that here in the scripture uh, or in Revelation chapter one, the Bible spoke of Christ, his feet like a defined brass. Here, this angel, his feet are spoken of as pillars a fire in revelation 1 it was spoken of that the countenance of christ was as the sun shineth and here this mighty angel the description his appearance his face was as it were the sun so somewhat uh, to say well this is jesus christ because there's a lot of there's a couple or a few descriptions that overlap and seem to be uh, the same and they also interpret because this angel cries out and his cry was like the roar of a lion that they want to speak then that the lion's roar, this angel's voice that's as the roar of a lion may lend itself to uh, the side or aspect of Christ being the lion of the tribe of Judah uh, in addition to some other things. However, tonight, whenever we see that John said that he saw another, everyone say another, another mighty angel the Greek word translated another here means another of the same kind rather than another Greek word that can be used which means another of a different kind. So what John is saying, I seen another mighty angel. This is similar to other angels that I have seen and previous angels. It's not the sixth angel that blew the sixth trumpet, nor is it the seventh angel that blows the seventh trumpet. Neither is it necessarily Christ Jesus. Uh, most likely, John wouldn't consider this angel just to be another of the same kind if it was, in fact, Jesus Christ, because that would be entirely different than any other angel that he had seen up to this time. But this mighty angel comes down from heaven. The Bible says he comes down from heaven to the earth. He has one foot scripture says on the sea the other foot that is upon the earth and there's something else that we got to consider is that this angel came down to the earth and if this angel was or is to be Jesus uh, we have him coming down to the earth prior to his second coming 
All right? And so we, 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 we have him first coming as a babe in Bethlehem, his first coming. We have him coming in the clouds. That's as far as he goes for the rapture. We meet him in the air. And then if this angel was him, he's coming down to the earth, which would mean a second coming. So then we would have a third coming. You understand the, 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 the representation there if this angel was in fact Jesus. But what if this angel was just another angel like John uses the word another, another of the same kind that he had seen before. Some may think, well, all the descriptions that are given to this angel that we read in, in verse number one, these are some pretty elaborate descriptions. I mean, a rainbow on your head, you know, your feet like pillars of fire. Yeah. Somebody enjoyed that. A rainbow about your head, feet uh, like fire and, and, and a voice like a lion and, and all these different things, his face as the sun. That's some pretty elaborate descriptions to be given to an angel. However, it's not that elaborate whenever you begin to recall. Remember what Ezekiel began to give the description of Lucifer in his former state. You remember it speaks about all the stones and the tablets and the pipes that was in him in his first estate. Very detailed, very detailed description of the appearance of Lucifer who was the, the cherub that covereth in his original state. Lucifer in his original state before he fell had a certain amount of glory, if you will. A certain amount of clout being the cherub that covereth with his appearance. His appearance alone was quite ornate and, and, and quite elaborate. So it's not to think, well, an angel can't have that type of elaborate description. Well, Lucifer had a pretty elaborate description, so it's possible that that would be the case as well. And here's something very interesting. This is just kind of like a... This kind of like a piece of paper that just folded and stuck in a book right here, okay? But this was kind of interesting. Uh, Tony Garland, what he deducted and said, he said, this is the only angel in Scripture that is said to have a rainbow on his head. And he said, this passage is undoubtedly contributed to artist depictions of halos, which often characterize religious artwork. You know, they're always depicting angels with a halo about their head. He said, they probably got that, this being the only angel that has a rainbow upon their head. Because if you'll remember further back, the rainbow that was even around the throne is described as around the throne as though it's not a half thing, but a full circle. And so you can understand maybe how they have done that. But the Bible here, it tells tells us the fact that this angel's face, the Bible says, was as it were the sun, isn't necessarily peculiar as well. Because we see in Old Testament times that even Moses, the face of a man, mm -hmm, his face did shine with the glory of the Lord after being in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights upon the mount of God. Exodus 34 and verse 29 states this. It says, And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hands, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So Moses had an encounter with God for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes down from the mount and his face is shining, having been in the presence of the Lord for that long. Verse number 35 of that same chapter even tells us, it shines so much the children of Israel seen it, and Moses even put a veil 
upon his face because of the shining that came from his face. Now listen, folks. If Moses had that type of effect on his countenance, being in the presence of the Lord for just 40 days and 40 nights, I wonder what type of effect that has upon the angels of heaven who are constantly interacting with the presence of the Lord as well. I would dare to say that they could even emit some of the glory that they are constantly exposed to in the heavens when they're constantly exposed to that on a regular basis. Amen. And then we go a little further because this angel has in his hand an open book. It's a little book, the Bible says, this angel has in his hands and again there's much discussion about whether or not this little book that is in the angel's hands is the seven sealed book of Revelation chapter 5 or if it's some other book Uh, some believe that this could be the seven sealed book of Revelation chapter number 5 whereas before it was sealed now these seals have been opened as it was we've been going through them and the seals are open and it's not closed as it once was it's open containing all the seals the trumpets we are going through and even the vials that are there uh, apparent and visible now for John to see but there are still others that believe the book is a different book because the Greek word for the book is different in each occurrence in this In this episode, speaking about the little book, it's a diminutive book. Amen. And so there's some say, yeah, it is. And there's others say that, no, it's not. And I'll talk about that in just a little bit. But we may not know for sure whether it is or whether it isn't the same book as the seven sealed book. But one thing we do know uh, from Scripture is that later John is told to eat the book. Now this angel comes down, one foot upon the seas, one foot upon the earth, and he cries. And when the angel cries, the Bible says seven thunders are uttered. John hears the particulars of these seven thunders, and he's about to do what he was told to do from the very beginning. Write it down. John, write it down. He's about ready to record it. And the moment of time that he's about ready to record this, the contents of the seven thunders, there's a voice from heaven that tells him to seal up what was uttered and not to write them down. Now, this is quite different from everything that John has been told in the book of Revelation, for the book of Revelation in itself. As a matter of fact, Revelation 22 and verse number 10 tells us, And he saith unto me, uh, the Lord speaking unto John, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, the book of Revelation, for the time is at hand. So, that was the call for the book of Revelation. Do not seal it. With this exception, though, in chapter number 10, the Lord said, Seal it up. Don't write down what the utterings are. Evidently, John knew. He heard the utterings. John knows what those seven thunders are all concerning and all about. This is the only part of Revelation that is sealed. Now, you and I, John knows it, but you and I don't know what those are. I don't know what those seven thunders are. And with that being said, there's a lot of people that are lent to speculation because it's left like that and they have all kinds of contrivances of what the seven thunders are when no one told us what the seven thunders are. Amen. But I do believe, and this is just my personal opinion, I do believe it's safe uh, to, to believe that they are in harmony with what the seals have been, the trumpets have been, and the vials are going to be. I believe it's safe to believe that they do concern judgment they are enumerated seven just like the seals and the trumpets and the and the vials all have been they very well may be some future judgment 
upon the land and maybe the sea. Amen. As we've seen occur in the seals and the trumpets, there's judgment that comes upon the land and the sea and the seals, upon the land and the sea and the trumpets. We'll see that again in the vials and it may very well happen uh, in the trumpets as well. Amen. Particularly since this angel that comes down with the cry of the seven thunders has his feet, one on the sea and one on the earth or the land, if you will. Because whenever you set your foot or your feet, that is, on something, it denotes authority over or possession of whatever you have your foot on. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 11, verse 24, speaking of the children of Israel going into that land of promise, every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. And so he told him, he said, guys, wherever you place your foot, it's yours. It was, a, it was a means of possession. Where your foot lays, that's yours. Also in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter number 10, the Bible speaks that Joshua had uh, some war with five particular kings and they took these kings and they put them in a cave. Whenever the war was over, Joshua went back there and he said, get these five kings out of the cave. And he called the captains of his armies together and he said, boys, take your foot and put it upon the necks of these five kings. And basically God was saying to Joshua and to those men that I'll do the same to all of your enemies. But their foot upon their necks was an illustration of having authority over them or possession over them. So perhaps, and I stress the word perhaps, perhaps this angel with the seven thunders is more judgment on the sea and more judgment upon the earth. We don't know. Nothing was revealed to us. Don't try looking for it. It's not there. Amen. But we don't know. The Bible says in Job 37 verse 5, God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which we cannot comprehend. Here is something amazing to me personally if you consider it. Of everything that God shared with us thus far in the book of Revelation, I cannot imagine what the contents of the seven thunders could be or may contain if they're similar in nature to the seals and to the trumpets. In other words, what I'm trying to get at is this. If what we've already talked about does not concern you, maybe the element of something unknown and unmentioned will concern you. I'm concerned about what I have learned, let alone to know there's details about something I don't know that's going to happen and that could possibly take place and what may or may not be involved in that. Now, whenever we talk about the sealing up of the book, sealing up of the book, and also we see this angel seems to lift his hand toward heaven, the Bible says, and he, he makes a, he swears, I'm not talking about cussing or obscenities, but he makes an oath as it, as it is unto the Lord. This is very similar to something that we studied in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 12, very similar to this instance because Daniel was told to seal up a portion, amen, of a book until the time of the end. Daniel 12 and verse number four, the Bible says, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. So that's very similar to what John has here. Here's a portion of the revelation that is being brought to him, but he's told to seal up 
the book. And it's after this that Daniel's told to seal up the book that Daniel encounters a man on the waters with his hands extended to the heavens saying that there are still times and uh, times and time and a half and times three and a half years that there's three and a half years until all things are finished or all things are accomplished the bible says in daniel 7 12 rather in verse 7 and I heard the man clothed in linen which, is, which was upon the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand into heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever that it shall be for a time, times, and half when, ye, when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people. All these things shall be finished. Again, this is very similar to what's happening here in the book of Revelation because this angel with one foot on the seas and one foot up on the earth lifts up a hand and swears or takes an oath as it were of him that liveth uh, forever. Amen. So I'm not saying this is but it's possibly that this could be demarking the middle of the last week of Daniel that we're talking about this time forward, we're talking about maybe three and a half years that remain in the tribulation, that which is known as the great tribulation. And note the phrase, the Bible says that there should be time no longer in verse number six. When all these things have happened, the angel has swore, it's spoken that there should be time no longer. Now, that does not mean that time is going to be abolished. It doesn't mean that time is going to be abolished, but what it means there, the wording, is that it will be, there will no longer be a delay. There will no longer be a delay. That all things are going to come to an end. All things are going to come to pass. In other words, people for generations of time in God's word and through prophecy have been waiting for the second coming. When I speak of the second coming, God to set up his kingdom upon this earth. Been waiting for that, longing for that. The prophets have spoke about it. The, the New Testament churches have discussed it. They have waited for that. And now the scripture says there is no longer going to be a delay. Time, no, no longer will there be time no longer. No longer a delay because this is what the people uh, have been waiting for. This is what Israel, even through the prophecies of old from Isaiah, Zechariah, all the prophecies of old, this is what they've been waiting for. And so what Christ is saying through his angel is, boys, it is right here on your heels. There's no longer going to be a delay because people contended with the idea of a delay. We, we contend with the idea sometimes of a delay of a rapture, let alone God setting up his kingdom on the earth. Uh, notice what James 5, 7 and 8 says. And this James, the book of James is addressed to the 12 scattered tribes of Israel, to the Israelites. It says, be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Amen. He's speaking of that second coming. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and have long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. He says in verse 8, he's just reiterating, Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. That was spoken to the 12 scattered tribes of Israel. Be patient. It's going to happen. It's going to come. Well, in Revelation, it's being spoken. There's no longer going to be a delay. Amen. Three and a half years in the whole time, in the whole spectrum of time is just a little dot on a piece of paper, folks. 
Amen. Just a little dot on a piece of paper. Many of the Old Testament prophets spoke of this as well. Peter spoke of it. Second Peter 3 and verse number 4. The Bible says in saying, he said there would be people in that day saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But there's a pivotal point right here, pivotal point right here in the book of Revelation. Amen. Right here at the coming, we're, we're going to enter in very soon into the seven vials. And before all that, though, here comes the angel down and proclaims to whoever's left that the delay is over. Now, for the 144,000 sealed, man, that is comforting. But if that's not you, it's telling me I'm at maybe the middle of this tribulation. There's some great, bad, big stuff about ready to unfold. Amen. And again, if the judgments as described in Mark 13 are like the beginning of sorrows, that word sorrows referring to the pains of a woman in travail, then they are now growing more intense and in greater quantity, right? Amen. And so if this is a pivotal point, no more a delay, you know the seven vials are going to be very harsh compared to what we've experienced up to this time. Not only that, I believe if it is as a woman in travail, not only will they be very harsh, but they will also be very quick. They will, you know, those contractions are getting closer. Uh, they're going to be very quick in the last days. Amen. Uh, they're going to come very rapidly, I believe. And whenever the final vial, and we'll get this study later, later, but whenever the final vial is poured forth in Revelation 16, there's a voice that says, a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. So you have here, there's no longer delay. And after we get through the seven vials, at the seventh vial, it's saying, it's done, it's finished, it's over, it is accomplished. Amen. And this corresponds with Revelation 10 and verse number 7. Because the Bible says, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, we're speaking about the seventh trumpet right here, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets, remember, seemingly contained within the seventh trumpet will be the seven vials. Amen. So he's saying when he begins to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. Amen. There are several things in Scripture that are relayed as a mystery. That would be a good study within itself sometimes to go through all those things that the Bible deems as a mystery in Scripture. But there are several things relayed in Scripture as a mystery. Many of the mysteries that are spoken of in the New Testament Scripture, they reveal information to us that was not known or previously known in the Old Testament Scripture. It's a mystery because it was not aforetime known but revealed now. And the prophets of old at times spoke about things they knew nothing of. Amen. Because it wasn't their knowledge that was speaking. It was the knowledge of the Spirit of God that was enabling them to speak about things they didn't even know about. So they spoke sometimes about 
mysterious things because it was unknown in their day to be revealed or known in another day or even in the New Testament times. And many of the Old Testament prophets spoke about the end of times, the day of the Lord, the latter days, again, not for their time period, but for a time period that was still in front of them. So no doubt to those that first heard those prophets speak of that, that was very mysterious. Now, you know, the end, of, the end of time, the day of the Lord, that's very mysterious for them. But all things begin to be revealed in the New Testament Scripture. And they will be, as the Scripture says, finished. The Lord says, whenever these vows come, we're coming to the end of time. We're coming to that day of the Lord. We're coming to all these matters. Everything that they wondered about of old is going to be crystal clear in this moment because it's all going to have un and already occurred now with that being said let's return to our angel now holding a little book in his hand that is open it's open in his hand and a voice from heaven has told John John go to the angel and eat the book go eat the book as a matter of fact the angel even realizes this is what's going to happen because John told the angel he said give me the book and the angel tells John John eat the book eat the book but he prefaces before he tells him to eat the book or with saying eat the book, he says, now listen, he says, this is going to be bitter in your belly, but it's going to taste as sweet as honey in your mouth. And so whenever we consider this, again, this little book, think about some of these other scriptures as we're trying to deduce whether we'll ever get it accomplished. But while we're trying to deduce what this little book may or may have not been or will be, I should say, Jeremiah 15 and verse 16, the Bible says, Thy words, Jeremiah speaking of the Lord's words, were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. And if you'll continue reading through those verses, you'll get to like verse 19 where the Lord told Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, thou shalt be as my mouth or my prophet. I'm going to use you to prophesy. So the Lord told him, said, Lord, he said, I'm, I'm eating your words. Thy words are found. I did eat them. They're, 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 they're joyful. They're rejoicing in my heart, if you will. And then later he's going to be the Lord's mouth or the Lord's prophet. With that in consideration, Consider also the scriptures of Ezekiel chapter number one, three rather, and verse number one. The Bible says, Moreover, he said unto me, speaking to Ezekiel, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this row. Now, folks, we're not talking about a Danish here or a Krispy Kreme, and this is not a honey bun, okay? This is not Susie roll. This is a book. This is a scroll. All right, he's telling Elijah, he said, eat the scroll. And then in the moment he says, after you eat the scroll, go speak into the house of Israel. He says, so I opened my mouth. He caused me to eat that row. All right, amen. And he said unto me, son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this robe that I give thee. Then did I eat it and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. So we have in these settings with Jeremiah and Ezekiel. They were to eat 
words of the Lord or eat the book or the row as it is described in Ezekiel. And they turn around and the Lord told Jeremiah, you're going to be my mouth, you're going to be my prophet. He tells Ezekiel, he says, go and speak to the house of Israel. So it seems like after they eat the book, that then they go forward and they give some type of word from God. Some type of word from God. Amen. So if I may compare the book to a certain degree to the word of God or at least words of prophecy because after they eat these words or eat this book, then they go and be a mouthpiece for the Lord. Raymond Woodward said it like this. He said, John is told to eat this book because the messenger must receive the message before he can preach it. Amen. And if you understand what happens in Revelation here, what's John doing? He's to eat this book, but the Bible says in verse number 11, after eating this book, he said unto him, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. See, Ezekiel eats a message or the row and delivers a prophecy intended for Israel. John eats a scroll or a little book as it were, and delivers a prophecy for all of the nations, peoples, kindreds, tongues. And that's quite possible. We see John isolated to the isle called Patmos, and he was. History tells us, now this is history, history tells us that John did eventually get to leave the isle of Patmos, and he returned to Asia Minor, and it says that he was the overseer of the seven churches that we read of in Revelations 2 and Revelations 3. And so he had somewhat of a ministry beyond Patmos, amen, so maybe it's possible that he had some words of prophecy to speak after he got off the island, but not only that, the word before in verse number 11, look, it says thou must prophesy again before many peoples, all right? It's not necessarily that he'll be appearing before peoples and nations and tongues and kings, amen? Uh, in other words, some people try to think whenever they get to Revelation chapter number 11 that John is one of the two witnesses because he's now before the people, nations, and kings again. They use verse 11 of Revelation 10 to say, well, he's appearing before the people, so he's one of the two witnesses, amen, to prove that. But the word before here in the Greek means concerning, that he must prophesy again concerning many peoples, nations, and tongues, and kings. For that matter, folks, consider, we're right now in the trumpets. John still has the seven vials that he has to share with his readers and record in his writing that will impact, again, all nations, all peoples, all, all, all tongues, all kindred, all kings with what he's going to record and write in his book even with the seven vials that are going to come forward. Now, that's a nutshell, Revelation chapter number 10. Next week we'll go to Revelation chapter 11. But before I do, I just want to share something I kind of tucked back in the folder here a few weeks ago that still coincides with this whole concept of rapture and revelation and such. I was reading in the word of the Lord amen Luke chapter number 14 that gives the parable of the man that had made a great supper and this will tie with something that I've said before in our revelation study but the parable of the man that had made a great supper and he had invitations that were made he had his servant to go out and to tell those that were bidden to the feast to come 
because for all things, this is what scripture literally says, for all things are now ready. He said, I got a feast ready. I got people that I've bid to come. Servants, just go and tell them that everything that I've been preparing and planning for them, it's now ready. And so whenever the servant goes out and begins to tell the people that have been bidden, asked to come, that now all the preparations are ready, the Bible says they all began to make excuse. You'll remember one man said, well, servant, I just bought a piece of ground and I must go prove it. Another man says, well, I just purchased five yoke of oxen and I got to go, you know, concern myself with them. Another man of all things said, I just married a wife. (laughs) Sorry. I just married a wife. Amen. In Jewish times, they took a year off their life. Whenever they first married, they took a year set aside to build their home and their marriage. He says, I just married a wife. And so, in essence, these were people that had already been bidden by the master. And the servant's responsibility was just to let them know everything's ready. All the preparations have been known. No more delay, if I can see it, say it in those words. All the preparations have been made. But I want you to know in verse 24 of Luke 14, if you have your Bible open, that's fine. If not, that's fine. In Luke 24, verse 24 of Luke 14, the Bible says, and here the host made it profoundly clear. He says that none of those men which were bidden, and might I interject and reject it, shall taste of my supper. I bid you, everything's ready and prepared, but if you reject my bidding, you will not taste of my supper. I tie back then again, folks, to this whole concept. We're talking about things after rapture day. Listen, if he is doing the bidding, do not reject the bidding because through the parable, you reject the bidding you exclude yourself from the supper. Amen. You exclude yourself from the supper. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 and verse 26, just a scripture that I came across here uh, some time ago. He said many, this this is such a wise, wise verse of scripture. Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment come from the Lord. Wise verse in Proverbs. Wise verse in Proverbs. I believe it sums up the modern day attitude. Because see, people seek to please people. Or groups. Or communities. Or rulers. Or status quos. They seek to to, to please other people. But the crux of this matter that I want to leave us with before we leave here tonight, the crux of the matter is this. None of those rulers... Groups, communities, status quos, or people are going to be the people that judge you. Amen. Judgment comes from the Lord. So if I am seeking the favor of any group or any king or any status quo, let me be seeking the favor of the Lord because he's the one that's going to judge me. If I don't get their acceptance in this lifetime, That is okay. I'm willing to carry the burden of that upon my shoulder because when life is no more, they have no say-so in my afterlife. 
I want to seek and please the one who has the say so, not only in this life, but in my afterlife. Please do not become a seeker pleasing. Just please people and please all their little whim. You will constantly be jostling your life around just to please the next person, community, employment, government idea in your life. But if you seek to please the Lord, it's going to be stable, it's going to be consistent, it's going to remain the same. And if you seek to please Him, He's the one that's going to judge you one of these days that's either going to say, enter on in into the joy of the Lord or depart. Apart from me, I never knew you. My mother's not going to be doing that for me. My father's not going to be doing that for me. My preacher isn't going to be doing that for me. But God, he is doing that for me. And so I want to seek to please the Lord, my Lord and my judge. Amen. Well, I feel a little something come by there. Stand with me if you will. Amen. Who cares about the piece of ground when you've been bidden to come to the supper? Five yoke of oxen? Temporal. I've been bidden to the supper. And I'm not here to throw the crux in the marriage. But he just got married. It just goes to show that our human relationships on this earth, they are vital and they are important. You have a marriage, that's great. But not at the sake of losing your soul. All right? Not at the sake of losing your soul. Amen. So those are the seven thunders. Read next week, Revelation chapter 11. We'll try our best to get through that. We'll look at the witnesses, two witnesses that are going to come back to the earth. We'll speak about the beast of the bottomless pit. There's that terminology again, and we'll hit on maybe the seventh trumpet. We'll try to do all that. If not, we'll do it in two sessions. Amen. But come back then. Come back on Sunday. We're Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.